0: Let's see, Sorgan, looks like there's no starport, no industrial centers, no population density, real backwater scuggle, which means it's perfect for us. You ready to lay low and stretch your legs for a couple of months, you little womp rat? Nobody's gonna find us here. Greetings, my fellow Mighty Mandos, Mevar Tegar. Welcome to another exciting action packed episode of MandoVision. Nargai Tom, thank you so much for checking out the small, independent Star Wars podcast. We are still doing the show-within-a-show format here on MandoVision, which means we're diving back into my old uh, initial reviews of Season 1 of The Mandalorian. This week we are reviewing Chapter 4, Sanctuary. Uh, this one's directed by Bryce Dallas Howard for a little bit of a new flavor in this in the in the Mandalorian directorial recipes <laughs> we get a little bit more into the specifics of the of the show once we plug in that old review but please follow us on social media we are at MandoVision underscore excuse me we are at mando underscore vision on Twitter and Instagram Uh Listen, uh, this is a, this was a strange one for me to dive back into because I'll be perfectly honest with you. Uh, this review that I conducted back in November, um, I, I got the feeling when I listened back to it that I was a, a little bit rushed. I was in a bit of a, a hurry to kind of get caught up on on some some TV watching. You know, there was at the time I was doing these reviews on the TomCast podcast. Uh, it was Thanksgiving, which is a busy weekend for all of us. But I was in the midst of doing reviews for the Mandalorian and HBO's The Watchmen series, and I think I was all and excuse me, but I was also doing uh, San Diego State University school work as well. So I think I was a little overwhelmed. I think that kind of comes through in some of the opinions that I share with you about this episode. Uh, I do you you will hear it. I do really like this episode, uh, but I'm I, there are certain points where I'm rather impatient with getting more information and getting more details about the Mandalorian and, and the, Mandalor- the the culture of the Mandalorians and, and things of that nature. And, and you, again, you'll hear that all in the review. Uh, but listening back to it now, and, excuse me, listening back to it, and now with the advantage of seeing where the series ends and kind of knowing more of what uh, Dave Filoni and John Favreau had kind of arced out for that first season, uh, I think it's, um, uh, well, I think I'm wrong. I, I think I'm wrong to sort of... Uh, Kind of be uh, demanding <laughs> of answers and information uh, in the fourth episode of an eight-episode show. It clearly there's an arc there for that first season. We all know it, um, but we all also we also know kind of how that, that this this season first season is structured and the focus of this first season is very very small, and it's it's done that way for a reason. You know that this first season was designed to bring in. Non-traditional Star Wars fans and and Star Wars fans who aren't uh, the the kind like me that are that are inundated with with far too much useless Star Wars trivia rattling around in our brain, and I think that's done uh, correctly and appropriately by Dave uh, by Dave Filoni and John Favreau, uh, because this show does have the attention of the less than hardcore Star Wars fans and a an a entire wave of Star Wars fans who who are probably weren't Star Wars fans beforehand. You know, maybe Baby Yoda gets him in the door. Uh, but this, this smaller version of Star Wars, I think, is what kind of helps keep them there because they, they are intrigued by those mysteries. They are coming back for more, for the little, little tidbits, little nuggets that are sort of fished out about our hero, the Mandalorian, and his people and their plight and their situation, and even uh, in regards to their culture and more about the specifics of their way of life. So... Me being impatient uh, was, I, again, I think just a mistake and sort of a uh, a, a, a circumstance of, of what I was going through in my life at the time, which is unfair to put on the Mandalorian. <laughs> Extremely unfair on my part to put on, on the Mandalorian. And I think you're going to notice the same thing when we do the next, um, the next chapter, chapter 5, when they go back to Tatooine. I think I'm very much in that same mindset where I'm just like, what is happening? Why can't blah, 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 blah. And I, again, I'm going to correct myself and say that I'm wrong. Uh, some of the insights, or some of the insights, that's a strong word. But some of the thoughts and opinions that I have about this episode, I do still stand behind. Um, I wasn't a 100% keen on, you know, you guys remember this episode. This is the episode where they go to Sorghum. Sorghum? Sorgar? sorghum <laughs> I've already forgotten the name. But they go to the episode, they're hiding out. And, you know, the Mandalorian's sort of looking for a chance to ditch baby Yoda. Um, I can sort of understand why that frustrated me to a certain extent, because I'm used to my heroes being a bit more uh, decisive. Like, oh, we just rescued this baby from the Empire. Now we're on the run together, and, and that's that. I, I think it adds a little bit more of a, lo- a layer to Dinjarin Djarin. Uh, that he is still... He, he thinks that maybe this is enough. That maybe this is, you know, rescuing the child... And escaping the planet, and finding a backwater that might a backwater planet that might be safe enough for Baby Yoda is sort of the right thing to do because his lifestyle is not suited to to raising a a, a child, a youngling, a foundling, whatever you want to call him, or just Baby Yoda. So, I I had some interesting comments on that situation, uh, in in a little bit of my. Um, resistance to embrace that. But again, I think it adds a bit of... Looking back, I see that it adds a bit of layer as Din Djarin is, is transitioning from the lone, mysterious, gunslinger, sort of bounty hunter he- character that he is in the first three episodes uh, into this more, I guess, responsible caretaker of this uh, of very important child in the Star Wars universe. Uh, and And, you know, it wasn't going to happen overnight. And story speaking from a storytelling perspective, it makes more sense. As it doesn't happen overnight. I think I'm just sort of uh, heavily influenced by my comic book reading days of yore, where uh, you know, you know, you have Batman or Superman, and they just kind of do these things, and like, oh, well, that's the responsibility now, and it's mine. In the real world, there's a bit of more of a transitional period for for a person to go through before they can get to that responsibility thing. I would imagine it's much like. When you're young and in your 20s and then all of a sudden you get married and you're having a kid and your life is completely different I would imagine it's something like that so you have to kind of transpose uh, the resistance of change onto a person onto a character and that's what what Dinjarn's going through right now he's he's slowly coming around to this child and and their bond is still forming as well I mean you see it in the beginning of this episode you see you know baby Yoda sort of pushing. The boundaries of what he can get away with on the Razor Crest, as he's flipping switches and pressing buttons all the time. You see, Baby Yoda Chan challenging in the sense that, you know, Din Djarin tells him to stay in the ship, don't go anywhere, don't touch anything. And who's side by side when the when the ramp lowers? Baby Yoda's with Din Djarin. And as we've seen in the new trailer, Din's attitude towards the child being with him is completely changed. Oh, and speaking of that trailer for season two, guess what? This is, a uh, on a programming note, this is the first episode that you're going to get this week, which is the re-review of Chapter 4 Sanctuary. But there will be another episode of MandaVision out this week where we break down and we talk about Star Wars news. And, and a big chunk of that news is going to be the Mandalorian Season 2 trailer that j- debuted earlier this week. And that's going to drop, if not today, the same day as this episode. It'll be out first thing tomorrow morning, Friday morning. So get ready for that two episodes of Indivision this week, back to back jacks. Anyways, I think I'm going to dive back into uh I'm going to dive into the episode. I'm going to throw you guys that that initial review, but I kind of wanted to uh uh give you guys a little heads up on on you know like why is Tom being just a cranky bitch about this episode? Because I kind of was a little bit of a cranky bitch. I still again, I still enjoyed that episode when it happened. You and you'll hear that. I just started getting weird. About demanding answers, answers that I wasn't entitled to, uh, and we can we can blame it on for whatever reason. But I think it was a mistake on my part to demand those answers. So I'll check back in with you guys at the end of the review, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the cool stuff that was in in this episode of Sanctuary because there is some cool stuff and some fun stuff in this one, in this one. Remember, this one's a very much of a kind of sticking with that Kurosawa influence. You know, this is very much the Seven Samurai or the, or the Magnificent Seven. If you want to go with the Americanized version of the story, uh, and that's a cool thing. It's it's, it's always cool to see a, a a riff on that on that on that classic, classic piece of of cinema. Anyways, I will get out of the way and let you guys listen to the review for Sanctuary. Strap on your buckets. <laughs> Some soup. Now I lay, you please. Oh, hello, Popheads, and welcome to issue 57 of 3Bzine Presents, the TomCast Popcast, also known simply as Popcast. I'm your loving host. My name, it's Tom. Please follow the show on social media at TomCast underscore Popcast on Twitter and at the TomCast underscore Popcast on Instagram. Feel free to email the show at TomCastPopcast at gmail.com And finally, you can join Pophead Nation at patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopCast, where you can join the Pophead Nation for as little as $1 a month. Or you can join the Tier 1 level by donating $5 a month and get exclusive Patreon-only episodes. Coming this month for our Tier 1 members, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. You're going to get an awesome essay and a commentary track. This episode is coming very very soon thank you to our current patreons the aspen hill chody and the squid master general brian broussard all right guys we're a little behind on shows due to the long holiday weekend and that is not cool on my part but there was nothing to be done about it i answer to a higher authority her name is janine um so in order to help kind of Expedite the process of getting the shows out. Uh, no fun audio clips included today from the show, um, but that's okay. I think re- I think uh, if you watch the episode, you know there were there weren't any great pearls of wisdom or, or or you know important nuggets of juiciness. So I I think I think I don't feel too bad about having to skip out on them today. But it's going to save me some time in the editing process because I have a ton of shows to do. I'm two I'm two episodes behind on the Watchmen, so I got to get those cranked out for everybody soon as well. Alright, uh so I hope everyone had a, a, a hap ha, excuse me. I hope everyone had a happy and safe Thanksgiving. But we're here to talk about what happened the day after Thanksgiving, and that was chapter four of the Mandalorian. bom bum bum. Chapter four, Sanctuary, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, the daughter of Ron Howard, director of solo for anyone paying attention for Star Wars. Written by once again John Favreau. Uh, it's important to mention that I liked a lot of aspects of this latest chapter. However, uh, it's it's time to start asking some some important questions, and you know these may be questions that have been kind of poking, at least for me. These are questions that have been kind of poking in the back of my brain for the last few weeks, um, but now they're starting to become more prevalent. Like I, I, I we started to, we need to start getting a few answers here to a couple things, and and one of the biggest questions right now, at least after this episode. Is our Mandalorian hero thick in the bucket? That's a helmet joke, folks. We're going to ask this and more, but first, let's get to the breakdown. All right, this chapter opens on a small village of krill farmers. We see a mother and daughter out among the krill beds, and this is Omera and Winta. Winta is chasing after frogs and generally having a wonderful day, when a familiar noise crashes to the ground, and Klaatuine raiders emerge from the forest to attack the village and steal the krill harvest. And basically, you know, wreck the day. During the attack, Omera and Winta hide in the krill bed under a basket until the Klaatuinians, Jesus, I'm going to say this wrong all the time, it's Klaatuinians, and I already said it wrong once, Klaatuinian raiders return to the woods. Alright, let's ask a question first. Who the heck are the Klaatuinians? All right. Well, in the new Disney canon, we're not quite a hundred percent sure who they are, but in pre-Disney canon, uh, they were a subjugated people and often used by the Hutts as muscle. You can see a few die in *Return of the Jedi*, at, mostly at the hands of Luke Skywalker. That's right, lightsabers, baby. Uh, yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> it was interesting to see the uh as as the kind of the heavies for this episode, and uh, even more. Um, uh, interesting to see them kind of in a, uh, a, a you know, low-rent uruk makeup from, uh, you know, there's some kind of weird extras from Lord of the Rings. It, so that was interesting. But, you know, much like a lot of the Mandalorian, we're evoking kind of a lot of familiarity from you know, the original Star Wars trilogy, you know, episodes four, five, and six. Uh, it seems fairly obvious from the setup of this episode, that th- of this chapter, that the story's going to end up being an homage to the Seven Samurai, which is another Kurosawa film and that kind of sort of fits into what we've already already sussed out about this show in particular. That's kind of paying homage to a lot of the films that helped inspire Star Wars. You know, we we mentioned a hidden fortress, another the the original Kurosawa film that inspired uh, Lucas's original Star Wars story. And, you know, it, it makes a t- it makes a certain amount of sense that The Seven Samurai, uh, which was remade in America as The Magnificent Seven, would kind of. Fit right into this kind of western motif that they're going for with the Mandalorian, kind of like the lone gunfighter, uh, but maybe not so alone for this episode at least. So, uh, again, kind of cool to see that, that little nod to the hat, little, little, or nod of the helmet in the, in the Mandalorian's case, and uh, it, it fits right in with our roaming hero, our roaming hero, and of course, the ever adorable baby Yoda. All right, so after that, ba- that battle in the village, we get. The credit, you know, we get the opening scroll, the Mandalorian. All right, then we join our story again as uh, exiting hyperspace and our heroes enter the picture. The Mando conducts a scan of the planet below, while Baby Yoda pushes his buttons on the Razor Crest. That the Mandalorian would rather, he did not. The planet below them is named Sorgon, possibly known for its alternatives to wheat. I think I got that right. A sufficiently backwater planet the Mando hopes will provide a good place to lay low. As they streak into the atmosphere, they fly over the village that we just saw raided. And after landing, the Mando tells Baby Yoda to stay with the ship and not to touch anything. As the landing wrap hits the surface of the planet, we see that Baby Yoda has no intention of staying on the ship. And it's adorable. They head out together for the nearby encampment. Not the same village from the opening sequence. He's not meeting up with the Crow Farmers yet. This is a slightly bigger sort of... Uh, meeting place for, for travelers to go to. The, the encampment is some sort of tavern where locals meet to eat and drink. And uh, Baby Yoda, again, doing what he's done a lot of in the series, taking in the sights around him, including a Lothcat that fans of uh, Star Wars Rebels will recognize that uh, snarls and kind of snaps at little Baby Yoda, which made me want to kill that... That that little cat right that loth cat right away. I was going to put that sucker down. You don't mess with Baby Yoda, baby. Not on my watch. As the Mando and Baby Yoda enter, the Mando catches sight of a, fam- a formidable-looking person surveilling them. Now the Mando assumes that she's a bounty hunter because after ordering a bowl of bone broth for Baby Yoda, the Mando sees that she's vanished and leaves Baby Yoda to track her. And again, he tells Baby Yoda stay put. So the mando goes outside, uh he activates a he, you know, he hits a couple buttons on his wrist pad, activates a tracking sensor in or a tracking mode in his uh in the in the HUD of his in the heads-up display of his helmet, of his bucket. And we get to see him uh have like a, it's almost like predator vision in a sense, he's tracking the heat of the footsteps of the, of the of the female that he saw leave the leave the tavern. A great fight scene occurs with, you know, vicious blow after vicious blow delivered by both opponents. And while I'm not going to do a blow-for-blow blow recap, it eventually, it, the fight eventually ends with both, opponent, with both opponents on the ground, blasters drawn point-blank, when suddenly both hear a slurping sound from off to the side. They turn to look and see the Baby Yoda has followed with his bowl of bone broth and is just enjoying the spectacle of it all while slurping that delicious, delicious bone broth. All right, we have just been introduced to Cara Dune, played by Gina Carano. She's a former Rebel shock trooper, which I don't think I'd heard that term before. I'll be perfectly honest with you, but now I want to know more about shock troopers because uh, Cara Dune and Gina Carano are totally badass. So, uh, more, more, please. Um, she turned into a deserter after the New Republic, um, after the rise of the New Republic. Basically, she, you know, she was she was part of the rebellion. She wanted to to fight to fight the Empire, and once the New Republic became a government. Uh, she kind of got turned into a, a babysitter for politicians. She assumed the Mando was there for her, uh, and she tells the Mando that it's time for him to move on because uh, she was hiding in the, on this planet first. At this point, our Star Wars story fully embraces the Kurosawa homage. Two locals from the Kuril village have finally tracked down the Mandalor- Mandalorian as he prepares the Razorcrest to depart Sorgon. Initially, he declines to help as they cannot afford him. And uh, the villagers, as they're leaving, upset that they were unable to to hire someone to help them with their predicament. Uh, he they uh, mentions how remote their village is and it's gonna take them all day to get back to it. This catches the ear of the Mando. Um, because this is an even better spot to lay low. So the Mando tracking down Karadun extends the offer that they can hide out together in this very remote krill fishing village. Also, having Karadun is gonna be a big help for him to deal with these Klatoonian raiders, okay? You know, he's, a, you know, he's not a one-man army. I mean, he kind of, sort of is, but let's be honest. We've seen him get beat up by a lot of things so far. So he, he probably should get a little backup. All right, so Kara, the Mando, and Baby Yoda arrive in the village where they quickly make friends. Where, I'm sorry, where Baby Yoda quickly makes friends with the other children. And the Mandalorian makes a connection with Omera, that widow that we met in the opening scene. And she seems to be rather familiar with Mandalorian customs. She offers to leave a plate of food for him off to the side, so that once she leaves, he can take off his helmet and eat in peace. And uh, this scene's pretty interesting because we, we we get to learn a few nuggets from our our from our Mandalorian hero, and we learn that uh, the Mando has worn his helmet since he was, you know, rescued by Mandalorians as a child. So we saw a little bit of that. In the in the previous chapter, you know, when the when the Mando went back to the Enclave before he got his Beskar armor suit, we saw little Mandalorians running around with their helmets on. All right. Later on in the show, um, well, through this scene, we we come to realize that a Mandalorian cannot remove his helmet in the in the presence of others, and that, that there are consequences for this. Now, there is is a lot of contradiction, and. Uh, I guess contradiction is the best word i 'm going to leave it at it 's probably the most accurate because in this new Disney Star Wars Canon, you know we've seen we 've seen Mandalore we 've been there on on Star Wars the Clone Wars series and on the Star Wars Rebel series we 've been to Mandalore we 've seen Mandalorians, Mandalorian warriors, and they don 't really seem to have much of an issue removing their helmets in front of anybody, let alone uh, people who are non Mandalorians. So we're, we're starting to butt up against some of that history because we have been told since day one, once Disney bought, the, bought Lucasfilm and said they, they were wiping out all the books and, and comics and stuff from before the acquisition that the first bits of, of new canon that are in stone is Star Wars The Clone Wars and the animated series Star Wars Rebels and so we have to take that at their word. So where's this coming from? You know, again, this might be another case of them, of them, and what when I say them, I mean I mean the executives over on on the Mandalorian and at Disney, particularly probably John John Favreau and and Dave Filoni. They're going even further back into the the the, the mythos that was sort of developed uh, early on about the Mandalorians in in comics and and other short stories and stuff like that. In in several stories involving Boba Fett, um, when in the presence of others, the Mandalorian had to go do go through extraordinary steps not to uh, take his helmet off in in order to um, not blend in necessarily, but to if he wanted to have you know hiking through the desert and he needed a sip of water, there were he had like some kind of special like straw thingy because he couldn't take his helmet off in front of Dengar or whatever. It's a uh, it, like I said, it goes back to some of the old mythology of the characters where that, that that was centered around Boba Fett in particular. But that was all pre-prequels. This is all before George Lucas came up to the plate and said, Hey, by the way, I'm gonna make episodes one, two, and three. Now it's happening. And, you know, you guys all remember episode two, we we meet Django Fett. And Django Fett is a dude who has no problem with his bucket off in front of people. So a lot of that stuff kind of was like, What well what's that all about? So, I mean, and, but th- that's how it works when you're, when you're, licensing, like, when you're licensing a property and you're, you're trying to build an expanded universe, but then the creator of that expanded universe comes in and says, no, 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 I'm doing this. And so you, gotta kinda, you, got, you have to kind of adapt and, and fold it in, in different ways and, and kind of make it work as best as you can. But you also have to acknowledge the fact that, that that very same creator could come in and do the same exact thing and screw you over all over again it's it's complicated to to license properties and and to make any impactful changes in in the canon but to the to the people who worked on the Star Wars expanded universe in that canon credit them a lot of them rolled with it you know and they and they tried their best so this is kind of a throwback to pre prequel Mandalorian lore how's that going to fold in with what we've seen from Star Wars Rebels from Star Wars the Clone Wars um, I don't know. You know, is this are these Mandalorians that we're following, is this Mandalorian and that enclave that we've seen? Are they some kind of isolated faction? You know, there are parts in in this episode where, where the Mandalorians are referred to as a tribe. So is this a very separate tribe from what we've seen come before? Right now we're just inferring, and it's it's kind of hard to say with any certainty what direction they're gonna go in. But these are one of the things we have to kind of start getting a little bit more clarity on. Uh, and if that's not in this season, then hopefully it'll be in season two, which apparently is in, I I have to double check, I'm not 100% sure if they are in production or pre-production right now, but season two is a go, and they're moving ahead with things. So we're going to, you know, hopefully we get answers this season, or at least some answers to kind of explain a little bit more. I'm okay with you teasing it out, you know, you don't have to give it to us all in a giant spoonful that we have to process over weeks and weeks and weeks. You know, tease it out a little bit, but just start giving us something here, because uh, right now there's a lot of guessing going on. Okay, so at this point we get uh, we get the Mando and Cara Dune reconning in the forest, uh, tra- attempting to track down the Clatunian raiders, and uh, you know, kind of get an idea of their numbers, their strengths, where they are, in relation to the village, things like that. Uh, it's at this point that uh, uh, Dune and, and, and the Mando discover that the the raiders have um the equivalent of of a weapon of mass destruction on their side because they find the footprints of that very familiar sound that opened the show they have a footprint of the ATST the all terrain scout trooper also known as affectionately known as the chicken walker so they go back to the village and they attempt to tell the villagers that uh, this is fucking hopeless because nobody has anything on this planet that's going to penetrate the armor of that Atst. But those of us who've watched Return of the Jedi know that if a bunch of Ewoks can take it down, I'm—I got good money on the Mandalorian and a former uh, Rebellion shock shock trooper as well. So the villagers reply that they they tell them we're not going anywhere. Fuck off! This is our village. We're not leaving. So the next plan, the Mandalorian was like, you know what? Fuck it. We'll train you to fight. Let's see what happens, and we'll come up with a plan to deal with that Atst. So. Questions coming out of this is how do a bunch of Clatoonian uh, raiders have an ATST? Meh. I, you know, at this point, the Empire's in in tatters across the galaxy. Uh, it's possible that uh, some Imperial warlord is is selling off, you know, Im- Imperial assets to to gain funds to fund uh, his own lifestyle or to find fund some kind of Something else that we are not aware of fund his army fund some kind of revolution somewhere, and they're they're doing that by selling weapons. We, I mean, we've heard of this in the real world; it's not uncommon. Uh, it's also possible that this is that this is uh, some kind of salvage that perhaps there was an imperial battle on on Sorgan, and this is a, a remnant of that battle, and the the were able to to get that thing working. Maybe it wasn't in that bad of shape overall. It, it's unknown. Or, or perhaps there was a uh, uh, old imperial base that they just the the empire just walked away from and left a bunch of gear there. Who knows? It's not explained, and that's kind of a bummer because I'm kind of curious about it personally. But we'll take it for what it is. They have a ATST now. Maybe this will play into the the more grand plot of the of the story. Now now remember, we are in chapter four of an eight chapter season one. And we still haven't met the uh, Giancarlo Esposito's character yet, who we know is supposed to be like, kind of like the heavy of the season. At least that was the way he was sort of billed. So I'm curious if he is perhaps the warlord who is selling assets to, to pirates and to raiders and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. That's speculation. And we have plenty of time for speculation later on. All right, so after a fun training montage, in which we learn that O'Mara is somehow, way a crack shot... Um, Mando and Dune infiltrate the Clatween comp uh, <laughs> comp. <laughs> Mando and Dune infiltrate the Kla-tween, uh compound, and it doesn't go as smooth as planned, and it leads to another fun fight scene. This time with the Mando and Car Dune teamed up, and they have to blast their way out of the camp, which is when uh, the ATSC gets fired up and chases them back to the village, which is kind of what they want because that is where the trap for the at awaits. Uh, it's a very... Seeing the at get fired up is really cool because they do a nice job of... Uh, they illuminate the cockpit of the at in, in a red light. And it, it looks like it gives the at these red, like, demonic eyes. Um, and I thought it was a very cool little touch because whenever we've seen the at or the Chicken Walker uh, being deployed by the Empire in in Empire Strikes Back or in Return of the Jedi it's it's in the it's in daytime battles so it was kind of cool to see it in in this night light you know where you, you get those that 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 optical effect of it has red eyes its very very neat all right so battle ensues and the villagers fight and they fight uh surprisingly well I'll be honest it's one of the more PG rated battles uh, I've seen in the Star Wars universe in a while um and uh, they ultimately prevail after, after Mando and Kara are able to eventually get that ATSC to step into their trap. I'm not going to elaborate too much on all that stuff. You know, fight scenes are fun. I don't need to give you a blow-by-blow. Blow. You, you more likely watch the episode because if not, I'm ruining it for you already. So I hope to God you've watched the episode. And that's the bulk of the episode. So life in the village returns to normal in the weeks following the battle. And baby, baby Yoda remains as cute as ever with his new friends and this is where we get that line about, about, uh, about the Mandalorian helmets and the consequences for, for removing it. In a conversation with, with Cara Dune, uh, she's sort of urging the Mandalorian to stay here with the farmers and, and, and have a happy life with Omera, who seems to be really digging that Mandalorian mystery vibe that he's got going on. Um, so she asks, like, what's the deal? Like, why can't he take that helmet off? And the Mandalorian says that, you know, once removed, Mando cannot put it back on ever, ever again. And uh, Dune just kind of like, shrugs it off. He's like, whatever, that's dumb. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So, I suppose we're supposed to get the impression here that the Mando's actually considering like, hanging it all up and staying here. You know, and, but he has other plans. And, and he tells Cara after, after that conversation that his, his plan is to leave Baby Yoda. And as he's announcing his plan, we cut to the forest and we see that familiar tracking fob once again. And a new bounty hunter looks like, possibly looks like another Kubaz, by the way, the long-snouted ones who we have seen in *The New Hope*, and then we saw in the first episode of *The Mandalorian*. This kind of this bounty hunter has tracked them down. Now, as the as the Mandalorian is uh, sort of saying his goodbyes to Omera and and letting her know his plan to leave Baby Yoda with them. You know, obviously he's very distracted by this, I, I, I guess, this sort of like heartfelt moment where Omera is trying to convince him to stay and she's attempting to slowly remove his helmet. And, she, you know, it looks like maybe he'll let her for, you know, a fraction of a second where he's like, nah, not going to happen, lady. That's not my vibe. And um, so he's distracted. He's not paying attention. Clearly the Mandalorian's eyes are no longer on the prize as, as you know, protecting the most important thing in the history of everything, which is Baby Yoda. So we cut back to that, that bounty hunter. This guy, he's got a sniper blaster, sniper rifle blastery thing trained at first on the Mandalorian. But, you know, what are the odds that that, that's going to make it through that, that Besker helmet of his? Mm, not so good. Then, in the most horrible thing we've seen in this show, the sniper scope is placed directly... On Baby Yoda, and my heart goes into a vice grip. This cannot be. This cannot be. The sound of a blast is fired and it's heard all the way in the village, but no blaster bolt emerges from the woods. Cardoon has shot the bounty hunter in the back and saved Disney from millions of people setting fire to the world if something bad were to happen to Baby Yoda. Now the arrival of the bounty hunter quickly removes the Mando's head from his ass and uh, he decides that hey, you know what? Maybe this ain't such a fucking good idea after all. Maybe it's time for us both to split. You go back to your krill because the the bounty hunters know we're here which is the first smart thing he's done in a while. (laughs) Okay, maybe not in a while but you know what I mean? Come on, man. You can't be Baby Yoda. What What are you thinking? What are you thinking, sir? I question our heroes they say, they say goodbye to the villagers uh, Baby Yoda has a tearful Baby Yoda doesn't cry but the, the, the kids the children are sad to see Baby Yoda go and the Mando leaves with his eyes forward as Baby Yoda looks back on the village as they pull away on their hover cart and Baby Yoda adorable as ever if you're not in love with Baby Yoda I don't know what you're even doing here why are you listening to this show? This show is pro-Baby Yoda all the way. And that's it. That's the end of chapter four. So now it's time for those questions we need to be asking. And this is a question I sort of, we, we sort of talked about it a little bit last week, but we have to pick it up again because it would be nice if the tracking fobs were explained a little bit better. How do these things work? Are they picking up some kind of tracking device? Is Baby Yoda got a tracker in him? Because if that's the case, maybe the Mandalorian should figure out how to get that the fuck out of him. Because that might help save them from some potential problems down the road. You know, or is it something something else? And which is, in, or is it something else? Something a little bit more elaborate, more Star Warsian, I suppose. Um, it, you know, is is the trackers are they keyed to Baby Yoda's DNA or his genetic sequence or something like that? Um, because there has to be a reason why they're able to find him relatively easily. And, you know, what are the limitations of the tracking devices? Because, obviously, if you're leaving that planet, if these bounding, let's assume this bounty hunter came from the same planet that Boba Fett fled from with Baby Yoda. Now, based off the, off the Mandalorian's point of entry into hyperspace, you probably can calculate the, uh, probable destinations. But we don't know if that's where this guy's from. We don't know if that's what he's done. So I, I wish they would kind of explain at least a little bit better how the tracking fobs work, what they're keyed to, what their range is. Do you have to be in the general vicinity of the planet for that thing to start pinging? You know, or I mean, or do, can you just like hop around and it's just gonna, you know, start feeding you information? You know, we, we, we gleaned a little bit of information back in episode two that the tracking fobs at least are providing some kind of real time data because that group of Trendershans were able to track down the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda as they were on the move you know, across that planet, you know, when they were traveling beneath the surface there in those little canyons. Um, I guess I just want a little bit more clarity on how this thing's working. And because, you know, the Mandalorian as a bounty hunter maybe should have some counter solutions for how 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 to deal with the tracking situation. Just a thought. Which leads to another question about the Mandalorian's smartness. Because why would the Mandalorian assume that Baby Yoda could possibly be safe anywhere, especially if these fobs are as, as helpful as they seem to be? Um, the 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 notion that he that he seems to believe that Baby Yoda would be safe on Sorgan as 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 a member of this krill farming, uh, you know, tribe of village village I suppose not tribe villagers. Um, it's i don't know it seems like a bit of a leap it seems like all of a sudden despite the the effort that the mandalorian, mandalorian went through in chapter 3 to rescue baby yoda now it seems like he's ready to be done with it and it's a little bothersome to me and you know again it's 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 just kind of bumping up against me I, I, he, you make this choice you make the sacrifice and now you're just trying to ditch the kid I get it, you want to keep the kid safe, but why do you think that's going to be the, the destination? Obviously, these tracking fobs are back working again, and people can find him. So I don't know... Again, this is why I need more information about the, the, the radius, the range of that tracking fob. Because I don't understand why he could possibly think that kid was going to be safe if he just leaves him there. Eventually, at some point, somebody's going to come across him and kill him and collect the bounty. And the Mandalorian would be, would be nowhere to be found. So, uh, yeah, he needed, uh, the Mandalorian needed a little bit of a kick in the ass on on some certain things in this episode. And uh, hopefully we can put this whole, I need to find someone to take over for me as the protector of this child. Fuck that. We know what this show is. Let's stay in our lane here, okay? Let's not try to, like, farm out responsibility for Baby Yoda. You are the one. You found him in the first episode. You rescued him in the third episode. Let's move on. You're just the kiss protector. That's how it's gonna be, all right. Deal with it. And now I think we have to ask the most important question: Are we going to have to watch Baby Yoda die, or get killed, or something else equally horrific? I I hate contemplating this. It makes me so upset. <laughs> I I'm sorry, I can't help it. But you have to you also have to ask yourself some questions about the Star Wars timeline at this point. You know, we're 5 years post Return of the Jedi. The Force Awakens is 27 years after these events. You would think that a force powerful being who looks a heck of a lot like Yoda might be interested in the comings and goings of the resistance and the and the the First Order and 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 these sort of things going on in the galaxy. So, yes, I get it. This show t- it was made well after The Force Awakens. But, I mean, what is Baby Yoda going to swoop in and rise a Skywalker and save everybody? So we have to ask ourselves, like, maybe that's because there is no Baby Yoda to save everybody. And that, that's so unsettling. It, it's, it's, it's very unsettling to me. You know, obviously we have this, you know, the last movie was... The Last Jedi. Now we have the Rise of Skywalker. Maybe Yoda does not seem to factor into these events whatsoever. Now, is that just because perhaps Baby Yoda's out and hiding somewhere, laying low with the Mandalorian, living a happy life? You know, by this point, he's probably like in the equivalent. You know, I you know again tracking Yoda ages is is difficult at best. But yeah, uh, he'd be a young preteen Yoda at this point. You know, maybe he's getting a, getting a, a, a taste for pizza and uh, video arcades, or is that just my childhood? sorry just transposing on that it, it bears consideration and the 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 thing i'm i think i'm most concerned about as as far as the fate of baby yoda is 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 he going to like do a a self-sacrificing kind of thing in order to save the mandalorian at the in either the, the climax of this season or you know at some point in the future i mean we we've seen that baby yoda can wield the force but it takes a lot out of him so far, especially at this young age, just, uh, just picking up that mud horn uh, exhausted him. So, are we going to see something on the scale of Luke's sacrifice in, in The Last Jedi, where he basically just put all his effort and energy into that force projection in order to save the resistance? Is this going to be a case like that? Like, is Baby Yoda going to sacrifice himself to save the Mandalorian? Um, I uh, I don't know how I would do with that. I honestly don't. Uh, that would uh, <laughs> you know. I love a good noble sacrifice, but uh, of, of of a of of a child doing it would be uh, particularly heart wrenching. But I'm and I'm starting to be concerned that that's what they're going for here. That they, they they want to pull our heartstrings. They want to crush us. Um. And, and, and make us cry. <laughs> and, I, and I won't be able to handle it. I really, really won't. It's going to... Uh, there. It will be a dark day on this podcast if Baby Yoda ever dies. In fact, uh, it would probably just be me drinking heavily. I wouldn't even have beer. I would I would move straight to the hard stuff. We, we, we'd we be on to, to bourbon or, or possibly even scotch. And it would just be me Openly sobbing into a microphone for at least forty-five minutes. That's that's not a threat. That that would actually be what happens. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure. Ah, uh, boy. So dark dark questions. Let let's hope it doesn't come to that with Baby Yoda. Let, let's hope that maybe I'm reading this wrong. Because I hope to God that I am. But let's also hope that the Mandalorian gets his head out of his ass because yeah I don't need any more of these these uh I'm going to find someone to take the kid and protect him so I can go back to being a rogue man of mystery dude you broke the guild's code you're a wanted man too they're not just going to let you back into the guild like you're you probably have a bounty on your own head as well at this point so I'm waiting to kind of see if that shakes out any further Ugh. again we're four, we're, four, we're four chapters into an eight-chapter first season. So we're at the halfway point. We finished the halfway point. We're now in the back half of the season. Let's see what's going to happen next. There's, there, a lot could happen. A lot could not happen. So far, it's been an enjoyable ride. Like I said, I, I did not unenjoy this episode. I did not hate this episode. I, I actually enjoyed the episode quite a bit. But those questions are, are, are starting to become um, bigger, bigger things to think about. And if you guys have any thoughts on those topics or any, any answers, you know what to do. Find me on the social media, at TomCast underscore on Twitter, at the TomCast underscore on Instagram, TomCastPopCast at gmail.com. Let me know. Tell me what's up. Because I'm concerned. I'm concerned. I don't think the show is going to be, become bad, just for the record. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm, I'm mostly just concerned about Baby Yoda's fate. <laughs> I really am. Uh, but we, again, we got four episodes left. They're, the, the schedule stays pretty consistent before that, that gap around, uh, around Christmas time. And I think it's, it might actually be a gap right around the time of uh, Rise of Skywalker, You know, trying to give people some time to go see that flick. So maybe Baby Yoda does save the day, and they ask why they have to space out the episodes. I, mean, I read it wrong. Baby Yoda's going to save everybody. He's going to show up in the Razor Crest and drop a bomb on Emperor Palpatine's head. And it's going to be amazing. Can you imagine Baby Yoda with like a Mandalorian bucket on his head, his little green ears sticking out the sides of it? Be phenomenal. Be so worth it. Oh, make that action figure. Come on. People will buy it. All right. Clearly, I'm rambling at this point. Let's wrap it up. Thank you once again to. All you guys who have been listening to these Mandalorian episodes, they are an absolute treat for me to do. And I uh, want to continue doing them for you guys. So, so please keep listening. And if you don't want to listen, just download them. That's fine too. It's okay. I won't know the difference. And... Okay, so I just gave you guys the social media. So let me thank my current Patreon members, the Aspen Hill Chody and the Squid Master General, Brian Broussard. And if you want to become a member of Pophead Nation just like those lovely individuals, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash TomCast podcast, where you can join Pophead Nation. A buck a month get you, in the, get you in the door. You're a member of Pophead Nation. Right on. Or, if you feel like uh, kicking it a little bit more, five bucks a month gets you into that tier one level, gets you the special bonus episodes of the show. And as I mentioned before, this month you're going to be getting The Force Awakens. And this is going to come with a essay and a commentary track for the film. And I'm going to have that out before Rise of Skywalker, hits theaters, so we'll be able to start kind of discussing the J.J. The Abrams take on, on the Star Wars universe. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So head on over, sign up now, patreon.com forward slash topcast Alright guys, again, thanks so much for listening. we we got a ton of episodes to get through in the, in the next week or two. got to get caught up on Watchmen, but the Mandalorian episodes are going to keep coming as well. Thank you guys so much for listening. Ciao, babes. Bad news, can't live here anymore. What? what? Why? bedside Manor? You think you can do better? Can't do much worse. Hey, so there you have it. That's that's the review. That was the initial review I did back in November when Chapter Four of Season One of The Mandalorian first debuted on Disney Plus. Um, again, I, some of it I do stand behind, but I, I definitely had on a very large pair of, of cranky pants. Uh, about some of the story things that i i felt were moving too slowly and, and weren't paced to my personal liking um and again that's my, that, that's on me that's my problem uh, whatever was going on with me at the time i think affected that because and again perhaps it's because I'm granted the 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 wisdom of having hindsight now that i see how the entire season plays out and and uh, the satisfying way in which season one finishes playing out that I can I I again I've rewatched these episodes a thousand times since stay at home orders in, in quarantine all started so uh, my appreciation for them has only grown since the first couple of times I watched them um that being said there I do have some I I do sort of agree with some of the stuff I said but again for for the most of it there's a fair amount of cranky pants on my part and that's not cool because again it, you have to look at it from a storytelling perspective, which I think is is one of the best things about this show is the storytelling perspective of it is 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 incredibly strong. You know, the first three chapters were introduced to the Mandalorian as a lone bounty hunter on the wastelands of the Outer Rim, you know, in the Star Wars galaxy. I don't know if you like the voice or not, but... That's who we're introduced to. That's who that character is at the beginning of the series. And we have to see him evolve and grow and change. It doesn't just happen, like I said earlier, it doesn't just happen overnight. And maybe I'm just uh, a little, perhaps my mentality at the time was a little uh, 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 sauced in the world of comic books or something like that, where, you know, where responsibility is just assumed and that's what's taken care of. That's not how this works. This is, again, this is very much a Star Wars show that exists in the gray between the black and white of the rebellion in the Empire, this is this is this is the show about the rest of the Star Wars galaxy that's not involved directly in that conflict or in the aftermath of that conflict. Well, I guess you could say these characters are involved in the aftermath, but we'll get there. But you know what I'm saying, right? This is about the 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 smaller characters, the the not preordained by the the fate of the de- of the Jedi, preordained by the fate of the Force. That that kind of stuff. This is. This is the ground-level the ground version of Star Wars that, um, that resonated with me so heavily in uh, Star Wars Rogue One. You know, I liked seeing this perspective, this more like down-in-the-dirt kind of, kind of storytelling for the Star Wars galaxy, for the Star Wars universe, in a lot of ways. And that's what we're getting here. So we're getting Din, that first arc, as the outlaw. Not the outlaw. He's not an outlaw. But you know what I mean. He is the lone gunslinger on the frontier... And now he has to sort of change because he's he has. He took the responsibility to to free the child from, the Imperials, but he has to transition into its actual guardian. He's not quite sure he wants to be the guardian of the child just yet. He's not quite sure how to do that just yet. So, it sort of makes a fair amount of sense that, yeah, okay, uh, Sorghum is 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 this type of planet where maybe the baby Yoda could potentially hide out and, and live a long, prosperous life and not be found by the Imperials. Uh, but Din learns a hard lesson in this episode, which is the Empire wants Baby Yoda, and they will continue to hunt him to the ends of the galaxy. And I think that's what Din has to re- finally begins to realize with the bounty hunter that Cardoon so wonderfully executes after he dares to put those crosshairs on Baby Yoda's precious, precious body. Uh, also, I I don't think I talked about strongly enough in my initial review the introduction of Kara Doom. She's a fantastic character. I really really liked her, and I thought what Gina Carano brought to the character uh, was fantastic as well. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, what they continue to do, to do with her uh, in season two. And as we've seen from some of the images released on Entertainment Weekly and uh, in, the, in the new trailer here, she's she's well hanging out with grief with grief carga our boy Carl Weathers. So that's pretty exciting too. That's some good stuff. Can't wait to see. What they do with that character again? A lot of fun. I love this, uh, re- this kind of re- rebel, shock trooper, shock commando. A really cool thing that we hadn't seen uh, in the films. Uh, but I, I love the idea of it so very, very much. And and like I said, Gina Carano brings a real uh, badass edge to that character that I thought was awesome to see. Um, I guess the only other thing I want to say is, is I do sort of still stick to my guns on. I, I sort of think Din. The Mandalorian should have, as one of the top-tier bounty hunters in his profession, I would I would sort of think he would know how to counter the tracking fobs and, and things like that. Like, if you're going to leave Baby Yoda there, shouldn't you make sure that, like, nobody who happens to have a fob can show up and find Baby Yoda? Or, I mean, track him across, you know, p- countless parsecs of space, since they never really bothered to give us that information on how the tracking fobs work. You know, what their key to, what their sequence to, can they track through space, or do you have to be on the planet? You know, the, the, there was in, I, I questioned a lot of the, the information that we weren't getting as far as how that, those things worked. Um, and, uh, you know, again, you don't have to go into a lot of detail because you're, you're trying to keep the scope of this story small and you don't want to bog down um, your, your audience, your new audience members in particular, your non-Star Wars audience members, with a lot of kind of, like, minutiae. I just sort of... I do sort of think still that as a bounty hunter, didn't you know how to how to counter these things? If he's going to drop Baby Yoda off on Sorghum and leave him there for the rest of his life, he should know that, hey, you don't have to worry about anybody showing up the tracking fob now because you're never going to register on it because we did this, this, and this, or we took whatever trackers out of you away, or, you know, whatever. There should, There should have been more... I still think there should have been a little bit more discussion on that. But, again... The key, the key thing that happens at the end is, is Din realizes he can't just leave the child someplace. Um, or at least he, be, he starts to begin to realize that just leaving Baby Yoda behind is not an option. And uh, um, it's an important lesson on his journey to becoming the guardian and the protector, the full-time guardian protector of the child, which is where we get to in the, in the closing chapters, where he sort of fully embraces his destiny. To Again, I talk about destiny for a ground-level character, but the sort of the journey that he has to go on uh, in Season 2, that he begins in Season 2 with the baby, with the child. And we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. Remember, uh, second episode of MandoVision coming very, very soon this week, if not later today, early first thing tomorrow morning, where uh, I and a guest will be getting into a lot of the Star Wars news that's been coming along, specifically the Mandalorian Season 2 trailer. Uh, but I think we're also going to take, take some time and talk about uh, some of the things that have been coming out from... From John Boyega and Daisy Ridley about their their experiences being in in the sequel trilogy, um, we probably for for my safety shouldn't dive too deeply into uh, thoughts and opinions on what went wrong or what went right in in the sequel trilogy. But uh, some of the things that Boyega has been saying uh, particularly are are uh, interesting, and uh, the stuff with Daisy Ridley has been pretty interesting too. So me and a guest today, a guest and I, yeah we'll be just discussing further the all the comings and goings in the Star Wars universe, because again, this show is MandaVision, but it's not just about revisiting episodes of The Mandalorian at this point, no, no, we're doing Star Wars news it's part of the show, so we're going to interrupt the revisiteds to do a news episode I'm going to share that with you guys immediately, guys and gals and theys uh, and thems out there, sorry I, I, we're trying really hard to uh, get the pronoun game under control I apologize about that Again, I want to thank everyone so much for listening to this podcast. Uh, doing a Star Wars podcast is basically the dream that I've had forever and ever and ever. And while Popcast is does talk about Star Wars, uh, this is this being able to focus on Star Wars and just kind of deep dive into uh, all the crazy corners of fandom and and the old canon and the new canon and and talking about crazy obscure characters. That's what we're gonna do in this podcast. You know, you want to talk about Doctor Evazan? You want to talk about Ponda Baba? We'll do it. This is the podcast for it. This is the podcast for you. One more thing before we go. Uh, I, I, I wanted to talk a little more about the O'Mara character, the, the, the mother. Uh, is anyone else Rick, really intrigued, kind of curious uh, about a little bit more about her backstory? She seems to have a good understanding of, of Mandalorians, Mandalorian culture. She knows how to shoot. Is she perhaps a former Mandalorian? Is that a, a, a backstory to be revisited in season two? Uh, did she have a relationship with a Mandalorian at some point, and he taught her their ways, or, or she taught her their ways? I, there's a lot. There's a lot to go on. I mean, we don't know who the father of her child is, obviously, but, uh, you know, it, it's something to be curious about. They they left a lot there. I I would not be surprised if that's something to be re-explored in season two. Just more food, more food for thought. Think it over. All right. Now we'll wrap the show up. Again, thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on social media. We are at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show. You can do that at TomCastPopCast at gmail.com. And uh, that's all I got for you guys. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back again very, very soon. Remember, this is the way. You got two problems here. You got the bandits and you got the mech. We'll handle the ATST. You gotta protect us when they come out of the woods, and I don't have to tell you how dangerous they are. Kara here was a veteran. She was a drop soldier for the rebellion, she's gonna lay out a plan for you, so listen carefully. Now, there's nothing on this planet that can damage the lakes on this thing. I guess there's no ewoks on the planet.